You're listening to the Wizard Factory Audio Podcast, streaming now from Spotify, iTunes, and other major platforms. and welcome back to yet another episode of the Wizard Factory Podcast, where you subscribe for weekly videos exploring deeper knowledge of the universe and yourself. Back again for part two of the the Dark Crystal Allegorical Breakdown. Uh, My name is Logan Hart. And I'm Brian Easterday. And joining us again is Susan Aurora, my lovely life partner, to uh, tackle part two of this allegorical breakdown, our very first one. Uh, obviously, if you haven't watched part one yet, go ahead and do that because we're pretty much just going to pick up right where we left off. And um, uh, again, as we said last time, make sure you go and actually watch the movie so that you can get the most out of this episode. Um, if you're new to this channel, please uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You know, we'd be happy to have you and uh, give us a like as well. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So. We ended the last segment where the Gartham showed up at the pod people village and started just abducting fools left and right, you know, taking them back to the castle. Um, And Jen and Kira and Fizgig uh, barely make their escape. And then you see Jen is really taking that heart, you know, on himself. He's feeling the weight of that personal responsibility of like, he's the hero on his hero's journey now he's found the shard which we've said you know represents himself it's the the microcosmic fractal of truth and symbolically he he blames himself and then he says i wish i've never found this shard representing found myself found my personal responsibility my sovereignty and he chucks it away and so we're beginning part two here where you see Jen and Kira asleep in the woods and uh, Jen is dreaming and <clears throat> he's dreaming of his master, his teacher, you know, his basically what was his, his sort of foster father, the, the mystic, the wisest mystic. And he's talking about, he still doesn't see himself as a hero yet. He's on the journey. He's going through the actions, but he doesn't believe it himself. It's kind of like in the ma- the Matrix when Morpheus is waiting for Neo to realize he's the one. He's kind of at that stage of like he's not there yet. He's he's on the journey, but he's he hasn't quite a, a arrived. But this is definitely a turning point for the character because he's talking about, you know, he's almost talking to his master and saying, you know. I miss the old days. Uh, I, I miss how the simplicity of how things were before. Um, it, really, he's he's noting the loss of his innocence, basically. And, yeah, uh, he says, I'm not a hero, not the way you wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I miss how things were before. It's kind of like we can all think think back to our childhoods where life was very simple and you could just build things or play with toys or just go go run around or ride bicycles in your neighborhood, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you know, um, 
it's it's a two-edged sword, I guess you could say, growing up, you know, you, you lose that part of yourself. You gain more, though. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't want to go back to childhood. I like being an adult. But with that comes responsibility, and that's why essentially a lot of people choose to, or think that they choose to stay a spiritual infant and never take that on. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, when he says master, nothing is simple anymore. That's exactly how I perceived it as well was that journey of growing up. And, you know, we talked about that whole ignorance is bliss. The idea, um, it reminds me of Cypher from the matrix when he's eating the steak mm -hmm. and he says, I know the steak isn't real, but it's good anyway. And Jen is very much going through this rite of passage into, you know, losing not only his innocence, but his ignorance. Um, and with great power comes great responsibility was a big theme that I saw within that transition. And it's interesting that he was doing that while he was asleep. Like it was, you know, this dream that he was having and then he awakes to this whole new world. Mm. Yeah. It's a very interesting point. Uh, yeah, I, I hadn't considered that, the fact that he gets the message, like, in the dream world, and then he kind of has to, like, wake up from that and then bring that into the real world, like, into action. Um, you know, and I think, I, I believe um, it was in the, the dream, you know, like, there was some, something said it that I, I jotted it down really quickly, but I didn't catch the whole thing. Um, but there was an inter interesting statement where it was, like, um, two made one by Gelfling's hand or by none, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's very interesting in the sense of looking at our, you know, it always comes back to that personal responsibility. Like even in our, our own world, if we want to fix it, like we want to heal ourselves, like we are the ones that have to go uh, unite the shard within ourselves, so to speak. Um, so I think that's a very, you know, very interesting thing to know that he gets, you know, that reminder of that self responsibility, which in, in kind of almost in a reframing way, because that's, that's why he was kind of feeling down as he was feeling the weight of that responsibility. Like he didn't want that, but then, you know, <clears throat> kind of that reframing and that reminder of like, you know, well, you have to be the one to do it. Um, sometimes that, that kind of, uh, that reminder is really useful in being able to carry on, uh, on the journey. Cause it, it does get discouraging sometimes in the process of mm. becoming more aware of things, you know, and finding yourself, there's a lot of very discouraging moments for sure. It's definitely, Right. And it's kind of the irony of, of this idea that you, you have a choice whether you like it or not. You know, like you don't have a choice about whether you have a choice. Like that responsibility comes with literally, mm -hmm. like we said before, having a consciousness and free will to take action and create change in reality. It's interesting because he, Jen even says, he says safe. I don't think anywhere is safe anymore because you can, it's like we said, that truth, like the crystal shows to everyone it the truth you know is objective and it's there is nowhere he's not safe from it anywhere anymore now that he has the knowledge he can't run away from it mm -hmm. yeah that's definitely a very good good point um so the next so yeah. part is <laughs> um jen you're a wake up you know from this where jen is dreaming and they're sleeping next to each other and they wake up and they they realize they're right next to the ruins of the ancient where you see in, in real time in the series this is what they're exploring is the ruins of the world that was from the the past before the gelfling co completely eradicated by the 
Skeksis, or more specifically by the Gar theme, of course, the Order followers did it, not, not the rulers themselves. And they find these ruins, which this is, I think, one of the more powerful uh, symbol, symbolic uh, portions of the movie because you're, they find the ruins of their ancestors. It's the, the last remnants of the old world that has been destroyed by the ruling class, the Skeksis in this case. And, you know, the, the signs of this is, is all over the place. You know, in fact, the first place they open, open the door into is this sort of a throne room where there's a Trinity symbol. And this is something, you know, as, as we've talked about already, this is, I think, one of the most uh, important symbolic themes, I guess you could say, within the movie and the series of triality being bringing the masculine and feminine, that duality into alignment and synthesis. It's not a this or that, you know, <clears throat> yin yang is the duality aspect, but the Trinity represents triality where you're still incorporating the masculine and feminine. They still have their individual form, but then you're bringing them together into a third through aligned action. And this is, again, it's on the throne itself, which to me, it symbolizes what is the throne, but a seat of power. They're looking at this, the last vestiges of this old world where they had that, they had mastered that balance. And the reason that the world has gone asunder now is because things are so out of whack. Thra is hurting, you know, the divine feminine is in, in danger and, this is kind of showing you of this is what we've lost. These are the ruins of the world past where the triality was, uh, was in, in balance and had been mastered. Yeah. What's interesting about that is that, that the same Trinity that you're mentioning is present on the throne and around the ruins is also the same symbol that is on right. Kira's dress. It's upside down but it's on her dress over her heart. And I noticed that it, it kind of looked like three yonis or mm -hmm. leaves or hearts, but you know, there was this definitive shape in the middle um, that it did represent, like you said, the loss of the feminine. And, you know, mm -hmm. Jen says, I can feel something, hear it almost. That's what mm -hmm. he says when they walk into the ruins. Right, and it's interesting, too, that uh, Kira literally goes and sits on that throne. It's interesting that they had the female character go sit on the throne, and not to mention, just as a reminder or foreshadowing, <laughs> when we get into the series, that the old world was matriarchal. Mm -hmm. The whole mantras were women that were the rulers. So that female definitely had the, 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 the fine feminine, I should say, definitely had a strong presence. Well, it's you know that. Okay. It was no, really ahead. interesting um, in the sense that using the, like the runes themselves, I mean, the fact that, you know, you could see, um, see that as a great, a perfect allegorical representation of like what had happened to the world. You know, they're like, a lot of people saying they seen the runes of the loss of their ancestors of this, you know, the loss of their power and like where they actually had everything in balance, you know, and as we see, you know, the, uh, on the runes, they're very, you know, again, a lot of the spirals and things like that, like we talked about in the first episode where in the home of the mystics, you know, in their cave, uh, it was like that. So it was very much that kind of uh, natural, you know, the very natural patterns. You know, what, you know, what Logan and I have talked about on the show a lot is like, you know, pagans, they create spirals and circles and things like that, whereas, you know, uh, monotheism is all about building the blocks and the squares, you know, and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, 
so I find that's very interesting. And, you know, and I think that's, you know, he's on this journey of finding himself. And then, you know, he, he's doubting himself in the previous scene, uh, has a, a dream or, you know, a, a communication experience with his, his guide, you know, uh, the wise one, which is kind of reminding him of that responsibility. And then right after that, the next step in the journey, I think it's very interesting, is finding the ruins of his ancestors. Uh, and I think that really is a great representation of part of that uh, journey of discovering ourselves is discovering like where we came from uh, and things like that, you know, so that, that can be a representation of encountering your ancestral uh, knowledge and lineage and awakening blood codes and things within yourself. So there's a, a lot of uh, symbolism in the scenes, very interesting one to look at, and pay attention to. Right. It's like that quote about the, the cut, cutting a, some, a tree off from its roots or something like that, of like having that knowledge of like, where you came from, like you said, but also the knowledge of the ancients, like learn having that passed down. And that's something that we very much lost as well is, is just the, the general understandings that they had and how they lived in harmony and in tune with things uh, were very discordant with nature now. And um, uh, the next, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say in the ruins did actually the pictographs, there was almost like hieroglyphs. It did very mm -hmm. much look like, you know, our own ancestors, um, you know, past civilizations, ways that they recorded things that were important um, information. Mm -hmm. And it's, I really like the fact that um, the movie gave us so many little clues and so much richness to give us the series because Somebody probably went back and watched the movie, noticed Kira sitting on the throne and was and noticed the all Madra within these these hieroglyphs and took took a page from that. So I think that's also very interesting how rich just this one movie was to give all of these clues for the series. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Well, and it's interesting that you you know, you know, on there the the glyphs or, you know, the the information's being recorded on the stone. So, you know, I think that's kind of very interesting in itself, especially, you know, getting into, you know, actual megaliths and things. You see a lot of them are made of quartz. You know, they store they store information. Um, you know, there, there's something stored there. And I think that could be, you know, a lot of what they were alluding to when, you know, Jim's saying, you know, he's like, I'm, you know, he's, he isn't sure what it is, but he, he can feel it or he can hear it or he can sense it in a way, you know, that that place is, even though it seems like it's in total ruins, that power, that information, that knowledge that memory is still like stored there and accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, those hieroglyphics, the showing, uh, and you can see here in the screenshot, um, the crystal castle, which it looks like a, it looks like a hand reaching for an eye, which I thought, you know, it's like the sun or knowledge, like the light of truth, like it's reaching for that. And then you have, um, these the, the 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 beings surrounding the crystal which you you can tell by the end that these are the beings that you see when the mystics and skexies are reintegrated together this is what they looked like before the crystal was cracked and split in two and then you have the skexies on one side that are running towards the crystal and then the mystics are going the other way on the other side of the of the uh the image there so it's like the crystal in, in this is also, it's clear. 
it's the previous, the way it looked it in the, you know, even you say metaphorically, uh, does that make sense? Oh yeah, it's crystal clear. Like you, the, the truth is uncorrupted. It's very clear. And then, you know, uh, you know, Kira asks Jen about the writing and he says, he calls them words that stay. I thought that was really interesting and in that he, mm-hmm. he learned that from his master. You know, my master told me. <laughs> it's really, he says it really funny. We were having a laugh about that. But, um, and, and then he reads the inscription and it says, when single shines the triple sun, this is where you, you, you had alluded to this quote earlier, Brian, uh, which represents integration single shines the triple sun there's that triality all being brought into focus which you'll see uh in the actual great conjunction you have that triangle with all three suns in the center what was sundered and undone shall be whole the two made one by gelfling hand or by none which again as i mentioned uh in the last episode my theory is that the gelflings really you know represent humanity and that sovereign being that fully balanced, like I said, their symbol was depicted by that Trinity of, of like everything in balance. And if you're looking at from the, the sovereignty perspective, that would be like the non-aggression principle and the self-defense principle brought in having proper tourizage, proper boundaries. That's what is required in order to maintain one's sovereignty. Well, I believe that. And I'm, I'm just now making this connection, if you can believe it. But, you know, what you're, you're saying, the Gelfling represent humanity and that, that struggle and that, you know, journey that we have to make toward sovereignty. But then, you know, we see this story as this very mystical, magical thing. But the Skeksis obviously represent, you know, government elites and the, the mystics represent spirituality, religion, even, you know, even though in my personal opinion, I think that the mystics are these beautiful creatures. They are very like we've talked about right-brained very almost like this um monk mentality of like you know complete selflessness Mm -hmm. and complete unconditional love and complete self-sacrifice right Right. but lack of action like they have very much taken a position of being passive and just sort of like letting things be what they are which is the imbalanced Mm -hmm. feminine of just like what well let's let's face it this is what the new age agenda is all about is oh yeah, just meditate and think positive thoughts and don't actually, you know, fight evil. Don't actually take action to, to make change. Just, you know, just focus on the internal. Yeah. They represent these two, um, these two beings that in this world are above the Gelflings, above the humans on the food chain. We look to them for guidance. We look to religion and we look to government for guidance, for rules, for control and even though the Gelfling didn't really ask for that, you know, that's the situation that was born from the split, from the duality that's created mm-hmm. in that world through the loss of, of knowledge of truth. Well, and I think it's, you know, interesting to note that even though uh, the Gelfling, you know, perceived that, that, you know, they have to look to these, these other beings, you know, as being, you know, above them, so to speak, when, when you really look at it, you know, like, just like that little prophecy alluded to, you know, it has to be united by Gelfling's head, hand by or by none. So these beings were so split and divided in themselves that they they couldn't do it themselves. You know, mm-hmm. there, there was something a bigger task that you know the Gelfling had to do. The ones who were you know closer, like they were part of Thra. You know, because we we noticed that these other beings they they weren't from Thra. They came from somewhere else. Um, so there wasn't that connection there. So 
even though they they were the ones that fractured the crystal, they didn't have the the ability or that uh, connection to the planet itself to be able to heal it. Um, you know, that's very interesting to look at. So, um, yeah. So then we see, you know, while they're in the runes, you know, um, Skexel or the Chamberlain, you know, he kind of approaches them, uh, you know, and he, you know, is feigning friendship, um, you know, just being, you know, very, very kind of, you know, sneaky and, you know, uh, obviously, you know, a shady ass, uh, shady ass character for sure. Yes. Stay friends. Yeah. He's um, like, prophecy yeah. caused this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. sort of copping out and making it seem like, oh, it's all the prophecy. Like, Skeksis aren't bad. We were afraid of Gelfling. They, you know, like, caused, we were afraid that the Gelfling would destroy us or whatever. Right. Right, yeah. So, and then, you know, he's trying to convince them to, you know, come with him or whatever. And obviously, you know, he has his own planned or agenda in that and being able to get back in with him, you know, within his own mm-hmm. uh you know, circle of the Skeksis. So, um, but I, I think that's really representative of, we can see on our, uh, our journey, sometimes you encounter um, characters or uh, temptations or things like that, that, you know, they may seem like they're a, a very good offer or someone may be doing that, but that person actually may not have your best interest in mind, or that mm-hmm. may be something that's actually going to, would lead you away from your path. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to note that there, there are going to be those challenges or those temptations on our own journey of self-discovery and that, you know, we need to be careful and aware of that. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously they follow their intuition. I think that's one of the keys in them, you know, not going with them is that, you know, intuitively it didn't feel correct. And that's, you know, what it really comes back down to is being able to use your intuition to stay in alignment with yourself and where you need to go on your journey. Yeah, actually, that's interesting that you you said that because it, even more specifically, it was Jen who was kind of hearing him out, and you know, obviously, he's like he wants peace, so he's gonna uh, he 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 wants to kind of look at the logic of what uh, the Skeksis is telling him, like you know, we'll come back to the castle. You know, he's being reasonable or trying to be reasonable, and he he's thinking about it, and then it was Kira, the again the feminine the intuition that says, don't listen to him, it's a trick. And then he's just like, no. Oh, he says the powerful word, the word of power, the lost word, no. And then, and that's when Skeksil's like, please, come back, please. <laughs> like he starts freaking out. Yeah, it's funny, he has zero chill because he's like chasing <laughs> them going, please make peace. And it's like, he's please. literally yelling at them and chasing them to make peace. It was so funny. <laughs> it's like that, uh, that desperation of a parasite when it sees it, it it's like it's food source uh, going mm. away, you know, like when, like, like with the narcissist and they have, you know, uh, someone that they've been like kind of keeping under their control and then they start to see that person mm. taking power back and then they try to get their lives back. That person will, you know, they just kind of freak out. They just immediate extreme reaction is what they're feeding on. Their life source is going away into that. That's, that's them, you know, bringing up their true fear, which is that of non-existent, mm. non-dead. Well, think know? about it. It's because they're they're the ones that are codependent. It's like they yeah. they they gaslight you into thinking that they have all the power and they need you know you need them or else you'd be nothing without them. But actually, once you start realizing your sovereignty, taking your power back, 
it's them who starts kind of losing their chill, like Susan said about like, <laughs> like they it, it's revealed to you that mm-hmm. actually they are the ones that need you and you don't need them, and then you just cut them off. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very interesting to know for sure. <laughs> so. Well, and you know what really confused me about even what he said coming in. You know, he says. The prophecy caused this. It was a bad mistake, and the Skeksis did it out of fear. But what I noticed was that the prophecy just says to become one. It doesn't ever threaten the Skeksis directly. It's threatening their existence individually because, you know, I don't know if they understand that they're split, and they, I don't know if they know. It doesn't really say. But the prophet all smoke and mirrors what he's doing. And that's, I agree with what you reflected about that because the prophecy actually doesn't directly threaten the Skeksis. So I thought it was mm-hmm. funny that, you know, nobody ever logically said, why, why would you be scared? What were you afraid of? You know? Yeah. Yeah. They're afraid of coming out of that imbalanced uh, position. It's like when a person, you know, they get that's automatic what... and they're stuck in a black and white position wow. like we talked about before. You know, they're afraid to come out of that position because that's really ego death, you know. That's really ironic, isn't it? That uh, even with the crystal becoming heal and the two become one, it it threatens the Skeksis as an individual, but they don't die. They just get they get reintegrated into their whole form. So, yeah, yeah, man, that I hadn't thought about that. That's really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So next in the story, you know, we have Kira that calls the land striders to take them to the castle. So they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're beginning that they have the shard back. They know where they're going. They know what they have to do because that's when, you know, that's the point they realize when they're reading those hieroglyphs of like, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. We have to heal the crystal. So Kira, you know, you see Kira's in tunement with nature. She has a command of, of nature. She can call in her animal friends to aid them on their journey. Um, you know, and the feminine as is is coming as a companion to Jin. Um, the the prophecy didn't say anything about this, you know. But uh, as they're they're running, you know, they're he's kind of joking. The prophecy didn't say anything about this, and then Jin says, "Prophets don't know everything," and <laughs> that also kind of because we talked about in part one, Agra. You know, mm-hmm. she said. Uh, you know, he asked her, which crystal, which shard is it? And she said, I don't know. You know, just because somebody has wisdom doesn't mean they know everything. And in fact, now that I'm saying that, it kind of makes me laugh because, uh, you know, so many times in my posting on social media and having conversations about people, about the importance of truth and all this kind of stuff, people that are stuck in their victim mentality and their solipsistic worldview they say things like, well, you just can't know everything. And, and that's such a fallacy because I never said you, you know, just because you can know something or just you can have truth doesn't mean you know everything. It just means you know some things are true, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's interesting about that statement is like with, you know, prophets don't know everything. If you can look at even, you know, uh, using astrology, you can see conjunctions and shifts and certain events coming up. So you can see energetically what's going to happen or the potential for what's there. But that doesn't mean you know how it's going to actually play out. You know, it, you know, it plays out in a very beautiful, very um, kind of poetic way. Mm. But I also think it's interesting that whenever um, Kira calls in the land striders, you know, keeping in mind that it was their intuition that, you know, they chose to say no to the Chamberlain and then go away. 
if we're looking at the rune Awash, you know, it means horse. It's, it's all about like riding your intuition like a horse. So, and then I think it's very interesting that they kind of call in what Thra's version of the horse would be in order to carry them I mean, away the feminine from that. is the one that calls it. That calls it in. Um, yeah. So I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, little correlation there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, this next <laughs> section definitely, oh, Susan, did you have anything you wanted to add? Um, well, it was about the, the next part is when they're actually leaving. And I didn't want to skip over that because, you know, they, they get on the land striders and Jen's, she's like, let's go. And Jen says, you don't have to go. And she says, I know. And oh, yeah. then Jen says, all right, together then. together then. And that was, yes. And that was a really important moment that stood out to me mm -hmm. a lot because there was this moment he had all right alone then where he had to do the journey himself to find himself and then once he mm -hmm. did then he this divine feminine comes in and you know there's you know this connection that happens and the balance of the masculine and feminine is is then mm -hmm. restored you know like they stayed the night together he had this dream he woke up in the ruins to this ancestral prophecy and they go from alone then to together then and so then mm. the journey takes the shift right and mm -hmm. that really goes with that theme of, of like bringing into the, the the parts of yourself that have been fractalized and disconnected and bringing it back mm -hmm. in and integrating it and becoming a whole and complete the damn trinity you know that's that's really like to me one of the central mm -hmm. themes of the entire story Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, like a, um, this next part, like I said, is uh, you know pretty rich, uh, but in a very dark way. So this is where it shows the Skeksis are harvesting the podling essence, and there's there's a lot of aspects to this. You know, uh, first of all, first thing you see is all these cr caged creatures, really depicting that dominator mindset. You know, lack of respect of of sovereignty and freedom and uh, nature. Uh, everything's just something to be commoditized and, and exploited. Uh, and then you see they're strapping the podling to the chair. And, you know, the Skeksis is saying, we don't want to hurt you. We just want to drain your living essence. Uh, then you can be the same as the others here, a slave. That's literally what he says mm -hmm. to the podling. And again, as we've mentioned before, uh, I think there's something very childlike and innocent about podlings. So not only does that, uh, to me, kind of allude to the, the pedophilic culture of the elites and, and the way that they've used children for literally like energy harvesting and uh, physical draining of adrenochrome, uh, but also symbolically as that inner child of ourselves and also another aspect of the feminine, which is that, that innocence, that sort of uh, loving, unconditional, uh, you know, could be naive, but not inherently, but without the masculine could be a little bit imbalanced. But, you know, it's that part, it's, it's what they do to us in school. They crush that, that, that sense of your inner child. And, and I think that's what this is implying here. We don't want to hurt you. We just want to drain your living essence. You can be the same as the others, a slave. They're, they're, they're ridding, ridding them of that. And I also think it could be a bit of sort of their individuality. Because what else does the school system do but create cogs in the machine, just, you know, blocks in the pyramid, uh, bricks in the wall, as it were. And then he says, feel the power of the dark crystal, you know, this hierarchical system of masters and slaves, you know, 
uh, slaves think that they're masters too. Like they're given small positions of, of power and authority, some jerk off that's a, you know, a, a supervisor or a low level police sergeant or something like that. You know, um, do you guys, you know, that's a lot already. So you guys want to riff on that at all? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it's very interesting that in, it's they're draining their life essence, you know, and if you almost look at it like the soul, you know, or whatever mm -hmm. they're taking their, their, and you know, what, what lights your soul, it's your, it's your passions, your, you know, it's your spirits, your, that's the connection to thraw. And then not mm -hmm. only are they using them for that, but they still want to use them after. So even this statement, you know, mm -hmm. it's a total gaslighted statement that he says, you know, that we don't want to hurt you. So you just, you just want to parasitically feed his life essence and then turning them into a slave that you can then use and abuse later on as well mm. um you know so it's a very you know it just really shows you that kind of predator that psychopathic mindset of, mm. of how you know they're a, a person like that is never going to want to help you. like they're they're only ever going to use you and continue to use parasites you and, and until something you know makes them stop uh mm. and you see the podling's eyes you know the ones that have been draining the slaves they're kind of you can see like the glows just kind of out of their eyes they have this very just plain dead, you know, gray, dead, dead like cataract looking eyes. Yeah. You know, and you, you know, it's interesting enough, as we mentioned before, you know, the eyes are being the gateway to the soul. So you kind mm. of see that the life is just drained out of them. Uh, right. So there's a lot of symbolism in there. And, you know, I think what, one of them they're, they're talking to, it's like, you know, um, uh, you know, I can't remember which character it is, but they're saying, you know, uh, you're very lucky, you're very lucky slave, like, you know, only the emperor, is to drink your essence, mm -hmm. you know, like that, you, you know, that slave should be happy to, Oh, you know, he's getting fed on by the emperor of all them. You know, he's not right. just getting fed on by anybody. Right. It's like a, Talk about like a special lighting. privilege. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I thought, I thought that was something that, you know, it really stuck out to me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Me, them saying me that. And then he yeah, says, this... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, and then he says, you know, the, the beam will rid you of your mm. fears, your thoughts, your vital essence, which again, kind of, uh, you know, that individuality, like mm. you're, you just, and domestication as well, like, oh, don't worry, don't have any fears or, or thoughts of your own, just kind of conform, and we'll take care of your every need, and all that kind of thing. Uh, what were you going to say, Susan? Oh, I was just going to reflect that I also think, reflect, that's funny, because we're talking about the reflector, but um, <laughs> this scene is more evidence of that theme of technology, the medical age of advancements. I even kind of saw like Third Reich themes and the whole having the animals in cages and the experiments and the machines and all of the, the advancements. Like mm. they are actually really, um, you know, intelligent when it comes to these matters and they're able to harness this energy and do all these amazing things, but it's that corruption of knowledge without the heart, mm -hmm. without the care um, just you know, greed and power fueling that knowledge, it can still be gained, but it's, it's corrupted. And there are a lot of, um, very phallic and, you know, metaphorical things, like you said, with the reflector. And he even says the great shaft of the castle when he's talking it's to the pod lane about. Is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, especially if you're thinking of the crystal as like, you know, a, a soul essence or the, you know, the heart of Thra, and then it being trapped within that masculine energy, that phallic. You know, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's mm -hmm. very, you know, definitely very symbolic, you know, for sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and then you see the emperor drinking the essence. So it's not just that they're draining the podlings, it's for their own consumption. And uh, ironically, it's for vitality and youth. So again, there's sort of this dual symbolism of not only like a very literal interpretation of adrenochrome, like they're harvesting that energy and consuming it for their own, you know, uh, vitality and stuff like that, drinking their blood, all that stuff. But also it's, it's sort of stealing that youthful aspect of themselves that they are lacking. They're, they're spiritually dead, you know? And so they have to, and you notice when he drinks it, he feels great for a second and then it, the effects wear off quickly and he gets enraged. He said, he says, tells uh, Skektek that, you know, like he, you know, it's a trick or like this is, uh, you know, bogus essence or something like that. And then he said, well, you know, like it, it always works better with Gelfling, you know, Gelfling essence. Cause it's, mm -hmm. I think it's also <clears throat> that balanced you know, the Gelfling is like the balanced human being, whereas the Podling is sort of that just sort of naive, innocent inner child as well. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that movie, Death Becomes Her. I don't, I don't know if you remember that movie, but they have this essence. It actually looks very similar to how it does in The Dark Crystal. It's this glowing essence, and mm. it makes you look younger, but you're still falling apart on the inside. And the, these women that drink it still have to take care of their bodies because they'll just start falling apart if they don't. So mm. there's that temporary, you know, on the surface or momentary feeling of vitality that they get from it. But it's even with the Gelfling, it's only temporary. Mm -hmm. You know, they have to continue to provide that for themselves. Mm -hmm. And yeah. one, one side note as well about this scene is that you see Agra is encaged as well, which to me, uh, she more than anyone in the, in the story itself represents that motherly care. Uh, whereas, you know, Kira is more like the, the intuition and like that, that even keel. Um, you know, uh, it's the divine feminine. Agra is in a cage in the very same chamber where they're draining the essence and stuff. And she's like, kind of helpless to, to do anything about it. She's caring for them and she, she weeps for them, but yet she's, she's encaged. Well, and it's interesting, you know, that like, you know, Susan was saying, the sketches their their power comes from like, you know, these mechanical tools, like they're very, you know, left brain, very, you know, they're good at science and, and figuring these things out, but where they ultimately have to get their power from is either from the crystal or from the beings of, Thraw that you know that mm -hmm. which is more natural you know they have to pretty much go after and rob nature or something theory. yeah it, it, exactly mm -hmm. so you know it, and I think that's very you know uh, symbolic of like what a lot of very large corporations or things you know like in uh, obviously you know uh, America's like you know thirst for oil and things like that all going out there and you know having to take from nature or cutting down forest or you know any mm -hmm. other way that we're exploiting. Uh, the planet in a very unhealthy way just to just to fuel greed and power you know it's not it, it's in uh, a relationship that's out of balance because there there is a a balance in existing on the planet and just taking what you need but then there you know when it goes into a level of just it's only for fueling greed and power then it becomes very corrupted it comes out of balance you know and it's very, very parasitic rather than a symbiotic kind of relationship mm, exactly yeah, so the uh, the next scene is where Jen and Kira are arriving at the castle. They ride in on the Landstriders, and they see the Garthian there, 
bringing in the podlings that they just got done abducting from the village earlier. And uh, they're just now getting there. So they come in and again, it's the uh, it's Kira who sort of like leads the charge. She gets really enraged. Uh, and I think that's really powerful is it's that it's that fierceness of the feminine through an act of care, like Kali again, with that, that sort of very fearsome, but feminine, powerful, uh, you know, energy. She, she, they fight, they, they come in and they fight and free them. The, um, you know, the land striders, uh, actually get killed in the process, uh, taking down the Gartheme, but they were able to free the podlings and, and let them go. And then uh, they float down into an underground tunnel, and you, you see that Kira has wings. This is the first time ever that you're, you're realizing that female, you know, Gelflings uh, have wings, which, you know, to me, that's, again, that sort of feminine, spiritual, like they, take, they can take flight. You know, m masculine is grounded. If feminine is sort of, they, they call it airy-fairy, right? You know, kind of up in the stardust and everything. Um, and then they literally climb into the mouth of a demon when entering the castle. It's like into the belly of the beast sort of thing. And again, they're in, they're now in this cavern beneath the castle, which is very feminine. So you have the, the castle itself, which is phallic, but beneath that, just like in metaphysics, beneath the masculine is that depths of the feminine in this case, a cavern, which, you know, it's like the Lagouge, there's dripping water, and you can kind of hear that flowing water down there. Um, and But it's it's very kind of unpleasant place. In fact, Kira literally says, I smell death here, which it's, it's almost like they're in this rotten yoni or something. Like it's this kind of, it's the feminine beneath the castle. It's very rancid and kind of diseased and old and, you know, in need of of healing and stuff. <clears throat> well, yeah, to me that it's interesting that you mentioned Lagoosh because that's definitely what I thought of when, uh, whenever I was watching the scene, uh, not only because the water, but the fact that they're, they're entering into the castle, like beneath the castle. So that's really to me hinting on the unconscious mind, mm. you know, which is something that Lagoosh as a room really deals with a lot is those deep waters, those deep emotions. And, you know, you can see it as needing to ride, ride your emotions, ride your care into uh, that castle because going and, you know, cleansing it, uh, is going to be, you know, quite, quite a process, quite a dangerous journey. As you see, as we see in the movie, this building up, this is really like the part in the movie where they're, uh, getting ready to face the most danger. You know, it's kind of, you know, everything's building up to this. So mm. it's very interesting that, you know, to, when you're going on your own journey of self-discovery, it takes a lot of care, uh, to be willing to drift into your own unconscious mind and see, uh, and you know, uh, everything there that's rancid and that needs fixed, you know, or like, you know, like here says that smell of death that, you know, what's rotten down there. It's a, it's been stagnant. Um, mm. you know, uh, you know, so that's a very, very interesting scene to look at. <clears throat> yeah. And it's interesting, the journey, just, even though it's just a few short scenes that they go from being on the surface, um, and as Logan pointed out, Kira is the one that runs, you know, heart first into the charge. And Jen's kind of like, huh? Like he's kind of takes him a minute to catch up with her. And I noticed the podlings were crying like babies. So there's very much this maternal 
you know, divine mother energy, you know, like the whole idea that like mothers will do anything to protect their children. And these little podlings are literally like, like making these baby sounds. She comes in and saves them, you know, risks the, the horses, the land striders in the act. And then the very next scene is them floating down on wings, which as we know, wings are very, you know, representative and in lore, they represent fairies and angels, uh, winged creatures, kind of live between worlds. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that they used her wings to travel from, you know, this divine feminine moment of motherhood and, re- you know, she, her rescuing the podlings to this corrupted, toxic feminine ca- cavern. Mm. And the wings oh, being wow. the, you know, wings are also like winged creatures are like liaisons to the divine. That's why they're they're They have this very spiritual, magical, celestial connection and there's that high and low, the mind and body mm-hmm. aspect of, the, of that. Just that little short scene is so, you know, representational of, of mm-hmm. what they're doing and the continuation on the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that's an excellent point. It's <laughs> <laughs> feedback there. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like you were saying, it's kind of that angry mama bird. Like everybody knows you don't want to piss off mama. It's that angry, enraged feminine, but it's coming from that place of care. It's not... It's not, you know, toxic. It's not um, uh, to control and dominate. It's actually about freedom. Like she sees her babies are being, you know, mistreated and kind of comes in. So now they're, <laughs> now they're in the depths. And again, uh, Skeksil approaches them. And, you know, uh, this time he's not so nice, you know, and he tries to just basically like, I knew you'd come. And then he tries to take them. And ironically, Jen stabs his hand with a crystal shard. Um, so, you know, the shard can be a weapon. Think about that. Thurizaj is a, is a thorn. It's like that. That's what that represented to me was that thorn of self-defense of like, he's not a violent person. He's defending himself. Uh, and again, with the shard representing his own sovereignty it's his personal boundaries. It's his thurizage that he then attacks uh, Skeksil with and his hand starts bleeding. And then you see the mystic, his hand starts bleeding as well. So then you're seeing that sort of mirror of the beings that are intertwined spiritually. I loved the, what they said, because Skeksil says, ow, my hand. And the mystic says, so my hand. And so my hand, yeah. And so mm-hmm. my hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, one that's very interesting, too, is showing that, you know, hinting on the Thuruzaj or that, that it being your own stuff. But if you're also looking at the crystal as a allegory for truth, that, you know, that truth can be used very much like a weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, if yes. someone's attacking you, sometimes that that's that sting of truth is sharp enough to actually get that attacker then to leave you alone. Um, you know, so that's also very, uh, another way to look at it for sure. Absolutely. That's great. And then, uh, so, you know, Chamberlain then sort of retaliates by collapsing the ceiling, uh, into, into this cavern and you see, uh, Jen kind of get thrown asunder and he abducts or apprehends Kira. So again, you at this point you have a very strong theme of the uh, the divine feminine is in trouble. Kira is now in the hands of the Skeksis. Agra is now Agra, in the cage, mm-hmm. and now the ca- the cave, the feminine cave, is collapsed. So to me, that you know, all of those things happening in conjunction sort of really pointed to that. Mm-hmm. 
that's that's interesting too because you could see that you know like on your on your journey as you're being tested a lot of times you could see uh your care starting to collapse or you you know you'll see people that you know like oh, i wish i i can do this you know it's kind of like much like the test where we started at the beginning of the episode where you kind of chucked the shard away this mm-hmm. is you know another representative of you know our our care that could be you know uh in trouble that you know it's very important to you know keep that protected and guarded Right. It's like Mark Passio talks about when doing the great work is is about sustained willpower. It's mm-hmm. not just about, oh, I did, you know, I did a thing, pat myself on the back. You got to be, you know, committed through the thick and the thin and keep that care, you know, intact. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And this scene brought up a whole new theme for me, because at the end, when, as you said, Jen was thrown asunder, um, He's he's trapped, and what we see is this gig, you know, they're kind of being sad and mourning him, and you know, I'd always kind of thought as Fizz gig as you know Logan said this fluffy ball of teeth, and it dawned on me that he in himself was an archetype, and that in other movies and shows that there's this theme of an animal companion that gets either left behind, you know, they're by their caregiver steward, they're, um, you know, or they're somehow, even though they're just an animal companion, they are somehow rescuing or contributing to or the journey. Telling them something. It's like, yes, you know, a premonition. Yes, mm-hmm. like Lassie or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Toto. Toto. Yes, yeah. they're these emotional dogs are very emotional, empathetic beings. So it's interesting that there would be this dog in this situation who is attached to Kira. And so I did a little research and they call it the friendly beast archetype. And it's an animal who helps guide the hero where they're going and assists or saves the hero. And it, to me, it shows like nature's on your side. That's kind of this, this theme of that is, you know, they're very loyal, they're very fearless. And that's, that all represents Fizzgig and nature itself. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. I started to notice Fizzgig's, you know, contribution to the story after this point because, because of that becoming aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting, especially in like looking at the idea of like a, uh, you know, a familiar or some other, you know, animal friend uh, that you have with you as a guide that's, you know, because you definitely see that too, especially uh, in a lot of like mythology or even with a lot of uh, the gods and things like that. Mm-hmm, like Odysseus' dog, Ravens. Argos. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's a very interesting thing to note for sure. Mm. So then uh, Chamberlain shows up with Hera and, you know, he's all proud of himself and the Skeksis are all deathly afraid. You know they're they're very uh, like taken aback, and you know that's indicative of humans of of again that even though the elites seem to have the power, they both loathe and fear human beings because we're everything that they aren't. We have what they so badly possess, but they're so cut off from. And then, um, you know, I really thought it was interesting. Uh, the Chamberlain really kind of gets his hubris puffed up, and he's just like. Ah! I have done this. I have caught her. You know, I bring you nothing. And then he's like, I was wounded. I suffer horrible pain. You know, that victim mentality of just kind of like, I did this, even though, oh, poor me, I was hurt. But I, you know, I got to the Gelfling. And then, uh, you know, they start sort of debating over what to do with her. 
you know, we're sworn to kill the Gelfling, says the ritual master, which is interesting because, you know, he would be more familiar with the prophecy of the, the danger that she poses. And then, of course, you know, the emperor says, no, first we drain her essence, then kill her. And, uh, of course, then Chamberlain is restored of his status and his robes, and he's kind of given his uh, restitution for for this act. So I thought mm -hmm. that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, and, um, you know, here soon, you know, you see them kind of getting ready to, uh, they're kind of at a place where they're preparing for the ritual of the conjunction, you mm -hmm. know, and they see the Gelfin here. And like you said, they have kind of a very fearful reaction to her. And then all of a sudden they, that fear, it immediately distracts them from what they were actually preparing for where, um, you know, I think it's kind of interesting to know we, we see that, you know, the mystics, you know, uh, keeping in mind where they are at, you know, being the other half, they're on their way to the castle, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in the movie, I won't get too far into it yet because we're not quite to that part, but they really show up with perfect timing. So mm -hmm. to speak with them, like literally like perfect timing, um, you know, so I think it's interesting that they're, you know, uh, focused and that they know where they need to be. But uh, the other half of them, the Skeksis, get really distracted as soon as their fear gets triggered. Um, and then all of a sudden they get off task and that kind of sets up an mm -hmm. opening for everything to play out. Mm -hmm. Right. They're way off script here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, um, it, of course, Kira is then strapped to the, uh, the chair to be drained of her essence. And, um, you know, this is where, <clears throat> as you mentioned, Susan, uh, Jen is awakened from the rubble by um by Fizgig. so it's sort of that the divine feminine is in trouble literally the moment Kira's being strapped to the chair then Fizgig starts like lick i think it licks his hand or it somehow wakes him up because you just see his hand sticking out of the rubble and it's that that uh what did you call it the beast beast star friendly, friendly beast, beast. yeah that, you know that that's helping him uh at the right time he he wakes up from the rubble and immediately says Kira fight them He's the masculine calling out to the feminine, fight back. Don't just, you know, succumb to it, like resist. And uh, Agra, the mother, is in the cage in the same room, and she tells Kira to free the animals, to call the animals to freedom. So it's, again, it's that vo using the power <clears throat> of the voice and communication with the different levels of the self and to tap into the power of nature. She says, you have the gift, Kira call the animals to freedom, remind, it's that reminder. And then of course, you know, she does all the animals escape from the cages, which is, you know, that sort of, uh, Slave revolt. Uh, yeah. It's the mm -hmm. backlash, the karmic backlash, because now they're sort of running out and destroying stuff. And the, the Skeksis are all freaking out, you know, and then they actually attack Skektek, uh, which I think represents, transhumanism and that technological uh kind of like we've we've been talking about very strong theme but especially with embodied in this one skexies which i think gets portrayed a lot stronger in the series as well and you do notice he has a mechanical eye which you actually yeah. see why later in the series but for now i mean you still can see he's sort of that biotechnology sort of uh aspect and then though he he falls into the shaft into the fire below and then the the corresponding mystic mystic then bursts into flame and disappears mm -hmm. 
Well, and, you know, that's interesting that it's the the animals that were caged and being abused, you know, the nature that's being used, uh, coming back and, you know, kind of lashing back out in in a righteous way and standing, you know, standing back up for itself, defending itself. So it's, you know, again, getting back to this kind of theme of this uh, technological uh, enslavement versus this kind of natural world is being, you know, that that draw is starting to, at this point, you know, uh, kind of wake up in the sense that, you know, the feminine has the gift to embody that, um, you know, and that's very, you know, interesting because we see, you know, if you look in any indigenous culture, you know, the, the feminine, the women are, are very much the ones that are, you know, that mother archetype, but also make sure that there's that connection with the earth, you know, with nature, very much like being maintained in, and in balance. Um, so yeah, def- definitely interesting to look at it from that perspective as mm-hmm. well. And then, so the, the animals free Kira of, of the bindings. So then the nature is now freeing the feminine back. She called them to their freedom and then they're in turn reciprocating mm-hmm. a lot, kind of Gabo and then uh, uh, Agra as well. So now the, both those feminine characters have been, uh, set free and Agra says too late a uh, great conjunction is, is at hand the Skeksis will have power over the stars which I thought was a really interesting uh, phrasing that she used the Skeksis will have power over the stars because it's again it's sort of that um, technological you know this, the spiritual pursuit uh, is a pilgrimage, pilgrimage within whereas the the left brain imbalanced uh, materialist is all about, well, we need to go out and explore space and colonize other planets and stuff like that. It's all about the out there. Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, I guess one final, uh, one final plot point here we can get into, and then we'll probably uh, end this as, as part two and we'll uh, conclude uh, next week with the, the final part three um, is Jen gets up, you know, he's, he's risen from the rubble, and then he immediately falls into the darkness. He slips and falls into an even deeper cave, which, you know, like Brian said, definitely a subconscious, uh, unconscious mm-hmm. uh, mind where he's going even deeper within the, the depths of his own self. And, of course, what does he find as soon as he lands down there? He and There's all these Gartham around, and you hear the, the – you see the lights, the little, you know, purple – lights of their eyes light up and you hear that crabby clicking noise that they make like that really kind of mechanical crabby sound and they're surrounding him it's almost like an ayahuasca trip or something where you you're faced with your own demons like the deeper you go into yourself you're going into the darkness of your own you know psyche and um you know to me that represents sort of the shadow self as well as the programming that goes really deep all the way you know because the gartham again uh represent order followings it's sort of like they're the ultimate result of an indoctrinated person that's completely conformed well and it's interesting that the masculine falls down and faces that right Uh, because not that there aren't women order followers but you know generally speaking historically there's much greater uh, likelihood of men being an order follower. And it's yeah. also interesting that he, he really has to fall into that deep unconscious place and face that before he can actually go up and, you know, complete the final task, you know, like mm-hmm. that, that darkness has to be faced. 
Yeah, and and of course he he is the one that is the keeper of the shard. So when he goes <clears throat> down there, he's still clutching that <clears throat> that inner knowing of like <clears throat> he he wouldn't be able to do that without it. That's the one <clears throat> thing that is his. It's the truth as his weapon, his sense of self. He knows who the fuck he is now. He's not afraid to use it as a as a dagger. Uh, and you know, even though he kind of slips and falls accidentally, you know, he's he's faced with that. Um, but he, they don't get him. You know, he manages to get away. And uh, you know, the um, he he escapes into the shaft through this little hatch in the wall, uh, which is you know getting back to that that shaft. I, I think it could also really represent the the spinal column as well as the chakras because if you look at it, you've got this big empty shaft that's like a, a column, and then down below there's this burning pit. So it's kind of like the lower chakras of you know the red and orange and the action, you know that little more masculine kind of thing. And what does he do when he enters the shaft? He's climbing up, and what's up? The crystal is up there the purple crystal that third eye chakra awakening he's he's now ascending it like kundalini and basically mm -hmm. ascending towards that mm -hmm. um and uh yeah do you, do you have anything to to add on that real quick yeah i mean that that's definitely very interesting that you relate it to uh you know the root chakra too because we we see that a lot with um especially like with men uh, who tend to be order followers that that root chakra is really tends to be out, out of imbalance. You know, they're not very grounded and like that they're in a very, you know, primitive state of uh, awareness and consciousness. So it's interesting that he has to go down there, you know, and, and kind of at that level and deal with that and, you know, start at that foundation and then work up from there uh, in his journey through the castle. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I think that's going to conclude part two for this week. Um, we, uh, we thought we were going to do a two-parter, but we ended up with like 10 pages of notes each. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we're going to, you know, just, we want this to really be what it needs to be, you know, take our time and, and not spare any details because, you know, what a great rich movie and obviously our first uh, undertaking of this type of content. We're really enjoying it, having a lot of fun doing it. So this is going to conclude part two. And of course, part three, the final piece will be laid down next week. Uh, if you like this video, please give it a like, maybe share, uh, tell, tell your friends about it. Again, hit that subscribe button. We've got uh, consistent content every single week, diving deep into the recesses of psychology and universe, natural law, all the good stuff, all the stuff you need to know. Um, if you haven't yet, I uh, would implore you to check out our initiation package. It's a totally free uh, premium content video series that we put together um, covering some basic practices. So if you feel like you want to start taking your spiritual practice to a, a daily practical levels, uh, learn techniques that you can actually use and start uh, implementing immediately, there's a link below. Uh, hit, you know, check that out. Uh, visit our website, wizardfactory, thewizardfactory.com. And uh, this is going to conclude this week's episode. So thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next week for part three. And until then, be empowered, be inspired, and be encouraged. Thank you for listening to the Wizard Factory Podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week. 
as we continue to explore deeper understanding of the universe and ourselves.